Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp, and on the other line from the Washington Post, Ben Golliver. What's up, man? Not too much, Andrew. Are you aware of this phenomenon called the super bloom? Have you heard of that? Uh, I have via your Instagram. Okay, great. Because the super bloom is this incredible thing that happens in California. Uh, it doesn't happen every year. Every couple of years, kind of the the nature gods align, and it produces just these incredible floral displays. You go to these certain uh, areas, canyons, and uh, you know places sometimes right off the freeway, and you'll just see like this giant pack of like orange poppies. It sort of looks like you know a Crayola box exploded on the hillside. I mean, it's significantly larger amounts of flowers than you might usually get every time of year. I bring this up because yeah. it's sort of this March tradition. It's actually happened a couple times here in the last few years uh, down here in California, partly because it was so rainy this winter. But I bring this up, Andrew, because I'm sensing a similar phenomenon in the NBA right now. It's called the Devin Booker Super Bloom, okay? We get <laughs> we get to March, and we just get these huge oh. scoring explosions where he's just going absolutely nuts, right? Like 58 the other night, 51, or I think 59, uh, and then 50 yeah. recently. And there there is a point here to this story, I promise you. And not just the fact that when I went to the Super Bloom down in uh, Elsinore Canyon, there was lots of oranges and purples, sort of reminiscent of those early seven, uh, early '90s uh, incredible Phoenix Suns uniforms. Um, uh-huh. There's a, a negative downside to the Super Bloom. There's a, a dark underbelly, Andrew, and you mentioned it. I was wondering because comparing Devin Booker to the Super Bloom is some of the highest praise available for you. So I'm curious where we're going now. We're going down a dark alley, Andrew, is where we're going. Uh, <laughs> you mentioned it right off the top, Instagram. Social media has basically ruined this super bloom phenomenon, okay? If you go out there to Lake Elsinore, kind of one of the the big, you know, uh, spots for super bloom, it's about an hour outside LA, you are seeing a town that is completely overrun. The local police basically threw up their hands and they just said, nobody can come here anymore. We can't deal with it. The Instagram mob is too crazy. (laughs) Andrew, when I went there... You know, my skin was crawling. People were picking the flowers. You're not supposed to pick the flowers, Andrew. Of course, that goes against my rule about, you know, take nothing but photos, leave nothing but footprints. People are just, you know, making themselves necklaces out of these flowers. They're all trying to do it for the gram. And there's a dark underbelly to what Devin Booker's doing here too, Andrew. I hate to say it, but the way that the Suns are conducting themselves in these games, it's atrocious. And I think... Devin Booker is already too old for this nonsense. I kind of got it when he was 20 years old, stat padding, chasing 70 points against the Boston Celtics. Okay, you're still young. Earl Watson's, you know, not the the most legitimate longstanding head coach. So of course he's going to chase it. Devin Booker's been in the league for years. They're putting him back into a game that they're down 30 points. They're intentionally fouling to get him the ball back against the Utah Jazz. They're encouraging him to go one-on-three against triple teams to jack up these contested shots just to chase his number. And why are they doing it? Because they want all those tweets to go out from the Suns account saying, Devin Booker, 59. They want all these tweets coming out from guys like me (laughs) who track these historic landmarks and say, wow, he's the youngest player to do this many points or in back-to-back games. I'm sure you saw that clip the other day where he's telling a fan, I'm going for 50, and, and that goes viral. 
How about go for a win? How about go for one stop at any point of your career? How about try do that? How about you tell a fan you're going to lock down on defense and try to hold a team under 120 points? And look, I watched the Washington Wizards in person earlier this week. They made the Lakers look like the Warriors. The Wizards are on the second night of a back-to-back. They go head-to-head against the Suns in Phoenix. Booker goes for 50. They still can't beat the Wizards. And look, I understand they've got nothing else to play for down there, but I think Igor, man, don't let this define you just like it defined Earl Watson. Don't be that guy. You know, you could be better than this in the NBA. You don't have to just kind of be a caddy for Devin Booker's scoring explosions. Just treat yourself with a little bit more respect. Treat the game with a little bit more respect. I was very impressed, by the way, that Quinn Snyder even shook his hand after that game. That's how embarrassing it was from the Phoenix Suns. And that's the end of my Devin Uh Booker Super Bloom analogy. Well... Let me tell you, I don't know if there has ever been a more on-brand rant from you <laughs> connecting both the Super Bloom and the need to respect the game, hating on Devin Booker, lamenting the rise of social media, which, by the way, it's just like wildly hypocritical on your part. You're on, you're on the Instagram stories like four or five times per day, but... Um, I hear you, and I don't totally disagree. Uh, The way they approached the Jazz game was not my favorite thing in the world. And and that is a situation where, like, when Devin Booker was in Boston, and I believe that was his second year where he scored 70, I'm all for just letting him chase 70 and see how ridiculous it can get. But I do think he's now good enough where he should be taking himself a little bit more seriously and the sun should be taking it a little bit more seriously. Andrew, and is he still he going to be, be do- above that kind of right. stat chase? Is he still going to be doing this in two years, in another four years, I hope not. in another six years? <laughs> is this just going to be his whole career or when does the light bulb go off? That's my question. Shouldn't it have gone off by now? The one thing, though, is I do think Booker is just insanely skilled on offense. And and I think that we he's kind of easy to make fun of right now, in part because some of the stat chasing the other night and, like, the Suns haven't cracked 25 wins since he's been there, I believe. It's been very, very dark each season. Um, and he hasn't stayed healthy. His defense is really bad. But I do think that he has some very, very valuable skills. And um, and I wrote about it a little bit this morning, actually. Like He reminds me of Kyrie Irving, and I think the Suns sort of need him to be James Harden, but he's not that guy. He's not going to be steady enough night to night to, to raise their floor as a team. But he does have the sort of skills that could raise a team's ceiling in the playoffs. And I think the real question is whether he'll ever be able to have enough help in Phoenix to get there because he's not the type of guy who's going to be able to transcend all the dysfunction around him and make the Suns a good team. He just, he doesn't have that skill set. He could try. He doesn't really have that personality. Don't you think he could try though? Don't we want to see a little more effort going that direction? You know, besides just saying, Hey, I want to make the playoffs. Like, you know, your culture starts with your best player. Your best player wants to go out there and score 50 every night because he's incredibly skilled offensive scorer. That's who your team's going to be, you know, and is he empowering his teammates? I think you're missing the forest from the trees to extend the super bloom analogy to to some other uh, venue of nature. Careful now. That's not your domain now. the forest from the trees. (laughs) Well, why why is that? You're saying his teammates are all just so trash that it doesn't matter how good he could be. He can't turn it around. That's what you're saying. I mean, that seems like a pretty, seems like a cop out to me. 
I mean, look, I watched a lot of the Wizard Suns game. He's out there with Mikhail Bridges. Dragon Bender exploded in the third quarter and gave them a nice little lift. But it's like DeAnthony Melton, Jamal Crawford pushing 40. Like, there's not a lot to work with right now. I, I know the Suns are not a good team, but they're even worse than people probably realize. And um, And so I don't blame Devin Booker for not being able to, like, take a bunch of guys who have one foot out of the league and and not be able to win games like that that is not on him and and we can go over a dozen different mistakes that the Suns have made over the last four or five years that have not been on him no I'm with you I'm with you um, on a lot of that but let me just put it this way if you're a vet who cares about winning do you want to go play with Devin Booker I mean put aside the Suns factor right and just say okay Devin Booker in a vacuum is that a guy you want to go play with you know he's never going to try on defense his defensive rating right now is 114 I mean come on <laughs> you're never going to win more than 30 games if that's where your best player's defensive level and, and impact is at it doesn't matter how many points he scores he's given up just as many yeah I agree with that but you could have said a lot of the same things about Kyrie Irving a couple years into his Cavs career and you could have said all right so <laughs> what does this guy actually do like he's very skilled but who who wants to play with him does he make his teammates better like what value is he adding and the truth is and as we found out when LeBron got there like he does add a lot of value and the skills that he has are are pretty unique um it just so happens that like a lot of that isn't captured during the regular season, and a lot of where he shines is in like the half court of close playoff games where you need to create points, and guys like Kyrie and Devin Booker can do it in a dozen different ways. And and that, I think, is easy to miss. And, and I think if you watch Devin Booker, like just the the variety of buckets that he's getting for these for the Suns, and like and granted, the Suns are awful to watch, so I don't blame anybody who's not watching them. But like his ability to break down the defense and and just pick teams apart, like the Jazz are a really good defensive team, and Booker was getting basically whatever he wanted. Yeah, like, dude, they were down that's thirty. That's pretty I special. Mean, come on, like that's not that special to I, get a bunch of buckets when you're down thirty. Come on. I yeah, I think it. I again think you're missing the point if you're watching him have these games and saying, "Oh my God, like he's not carrying this team." I, I don't. Like, it's not yeah, just about those. True. It's not just about those games. It's about the whole thing. If he's not having any impact on you know taking a step forward with your culture, like if you take a big step back, right? We watch these young players uh -huh. go from year one to year two to year three and go forward, right? He came in the league incredibly young. So he gets more of a pass for those first couple of years than the average player who comes in. Of course, a rookie like Damian Lillard is going to have more of an impact on his team's culture as he goes through years one through four because he's like four years older, right? What progress sure. has Phoenix made? What, what can we say Devin Booker's done A, B, and C that has taken his franchise forward in any meaningful direction? Or are they completely where they were when they first got him? Because there should be no way if you're this talented at scoring, which is now the like, basically the most important thing in the game because they legislate defense out of the game, right? Uh -huh. That your organization makes no substantive progress, right? How is that possible right. in three years? Without holding him, without holding him accountable to to a major level. Yeah, well, I think that speaks to some shortcomings he has, but that does not invalidate the like very real skills that he has and, and the value that he could add in a different context. But if, if you're asking me, is Devin Booker the guy who's going to transform the Suns? I think we have a pretty clear answer on that front and in part because of what you said it doesn't it's not even about making the playoffs there hasn't been real progress 
And so he's not the guy who's going to come in and like set the culture. I think on that front, a guy like De'Aaron Fox would be more valuable to the Suns than Booker has been. But I also think if you're asking me who is going to be better in a playoff setting, if you're one or two or three rounds into the playoffs, I think I would trust a, um, a guy like Booker more than a guy like Fox. No way, because I mean, Fox isn't going to get abused play after play. I mean, you can run every single thing at Booker. Like if you put him in the playoffs at any point here over the next three years, because it's probably going to take him that long to figure out how important defense is. Not all his fault. Some yeah. of it's culture, but he's getting picked a to death. A lot of it's culture. Yeah, a lot of it like, is can culture. You, can you imagine a worse place to, to spend your no. first three or four years and try look, to learn how to be a professional? Look, you do not have to preach to the choir about the Suns' dysfunction. There's no doubt about it. But we know these players now are bigger than their teams. These superstars level players these star level players not only do they set the tone for their organizations but they're in charge to a large degree of their own development and i don't know if he's making conscious choices i just don't know if he just doesn't know better which is possible but i just want that light to click on in some of these ways that it hasn't and if you put him out in the playoffs right now he's getting roasted <laughs> every single play they're going right at him you know they're going to try to switch on to him they're going to try to take advantage of his lack of you know imposing physicality they're going to you know, get him into yep. foul trouble they're they're nitpicking at him and he's going to give up layups i mean that's that's what we've seen time and again he's not going to help defense he's not going to lock in and it's not to only single him out he's not the only guy who does it but he is the guy right now yeah. who's getting the most attention for what he's good at and I understand, like, there's nothing else to cheer about. So if you're a Suns fan, you want to cape for this guy. That's fine. But be honest about his limitations, too. And be worried that the, he hasn't made the kind of progress that I'm asking for here in three full seasons. Right. And my only point is that there's a way to, to acknowledge his limitations without kind of shortchanging everything he does well and everything that could make him very special. And here's my thing. I'm not, like... Team Devin Booker, I do love watching him score and watching him kind of glide through the defense and get these easy mid-range looks, which are quote-unquote inefficient in the regular season, but which do have a lot of real value in the playoffs when you're trying to counter good defenses and create offense when everything else breaks down. Like that, That's something that some of the analytics don't really account for, and it's one of the reasons other players really respect Devin Booker, and it's one of the reasons I'm... I'm not as low on him as some other people, but I'm also not here to tell you that like he's definitely a star and definitely will have a career like Kyrie Irving. I think that the the question is, will he ever have an opportunity to prove himself in those moments because he's surrounded by this shit show in Phoenix and like he's not the guy who's going to be able to lift everyone up. So in that case, he's going to need some help and like I don't know if it's ever going to get there. Uh, but so, I, I wouldn't bury him too soon just because he's not a quote unquote leader or he's doing it for the gram or whatever you want to say. No, you don't bury I think him. he's still really good at a lot of really important things. Yeah. I mean, he's really good at a few important things. Uh, you know, I, I think that you don't bury him forever, but there needs to be, a, there needs <laughs> to be a wake so... up call here. There really needs to be a wake up call yeah. from him because he signed the max deal. He's going to be there forever. It's going to be a while until he can leverage his way out. He has accepted the burden of the culture, of the coaching staff turnover, of the front office turnover, of arguably the worst owner in the league. He agreed to all of that by taking the huge payday, the long-term extension, and I don't blame him for that. He has to look inside mm -hmm. before he can look outside. The easiest thing he could do is address his own weaknesses in a real serious way. 
and hope that everybody else goes along for the ride and set the tone for his teammates and you know be that guy Kyrie Irving talked about that early in his career too how he just wasn't comfortable being like a rookie leader and he shouldn't be when you've got guys who are 10 years older than you in your locker room they're going to look at you like what do you even know how are you going to lead us that's an awkward dynamic Booker is no longer yeah. in that stage of his career, right? He's going out there and putting up 50-plus points. He's phenomenally talented at what he does. He's done it repeatedly. This wasn't just a one-off Corey Brewer type of random explosion where everybody's looking around like, what's happening, right? People know he can do this. Uh-huh. Show us the commitment everywhere else and you know, and be the guy who is now your culture setter. And I just don't see it. And I, I don't think he can escape blame for that. That's my only point. Yeah. Yeah, well, and guys have different strengths. I mean, Kyrie still doesn't have that as a strength, despite how much he wants to emphasize <laughs> he forces leadership. It. Like, yeah, he's not that guy. And I don't think Booker is that guy, and that's okay. What I do want, I want two acknowledgments from you. Number one, as a basketball observer, I want you to acknowledge how gorgeous Booker's game is when he's got it rolling. His, can you do that? His whole game is not gorgeous. His offensive game at times can be really pretty, but he's putting up a lot of shots. He's taking a lot of bad shots. Yes, he can hit bad shots. There's no question about it. He's not my favorite player to watch. Uh, I think when he's when he's hot, I like to see anybody get hot. Same thing with Jamal Crawford, some of these other guys. But on a night-to-night basis, when they're down 20, 30 points consistently, no, he doesn't play gorgeous basketball. Come on. I don't know, man. I, I think, honestly... Where his game isn't gorgeous is where you can see him trying to force the threes that are now the smartest shot in basketball, and it's not really his game necessarily. Like he takes a lot of pull-up threes, and even the catch-and-shoot threes. Like he's he's shooting, I believe, thirty-two percent from three this year. People harp on that number, though. I don't think I don't hold that against him as much. Similar to Luca, right? Like that is where your your teammates. Uh, talent yeah, is going to, to show everything. so I, I don't hold that number mm-hmm. against him particularly as much as some people do yeah um I, I just think when he's wiggling into those little like 16 15 foot jumpers or the little like 11 foot jumper in the lane uh he's just he's so smooth and um and again is just really skilled like uh, beyond his years a little bit although i guess you're right like we're we're starting to enter the prime so yeah. like this is just who devin booker is starting to get really but, real um, and you're saying the in-between game you know who's also has a great in-between game mike conley i'd rather watch mike conley over devin booker any day because he's also going to play defense and he knows how to run the pick and roll and yes He's getting to the stage of his career where like, all right, he's not the same guy he was four or five years ago. But if you're saying who's a more enjoyable player to watch play basketball, I'll take Mike Conley over Devin Booker any day. (laughs) This is the most on-brand segment for both of us, really, because here's Devin Booker. I'm not sitting here telling you he's a secret superstar or something. I do think he's getting kind of a raw deal from some of the smarter basketball people around the league because he's good in a lot of ways that are harder to appreciate and harder to quantify the last thing i want to say though is and you just (laughs) somehow turn this into standing for mike conley which is the oldest old guy take you can have um but i'm with you when mike conley has the floaters going like that's fun to watch as well um the last question though is like when you look across the league i don't i can't name many stars who would be able to transcend what Phoenix has been dealing with over the past few years, because it really is just a total fucking mess. (laughs) And like, 
I don't, I no shots at like DeAndre Ayton. DeAndre Ayton's had an okay year, but like his defense is a mess. I wonder whether the story would be different and whether the future would look different if they had uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. in there. But like, I I can count the number of stars on one hand who would go in there and actually be able to like make a real difference. What do you think? No, you're right. I mean, it's there's less than five guys who could really you know meaningfully transform this thing at least in a short term time period. That's why you've got to look at it from the long term if you're Booker. It's gradual steps. If you want to make the playoffs. You have to make gradual progress every year. What did we see from Denver? What have we seen from Sacramento, right? Like to have that leap from being an 18, 20 win team all the way up to being a 45 win team. He was dreaming. Yeah. He was pipe dreaming last year when he said that they were going to make the playoffs. And we all laughed at him and we were right to laugh at him. And it just shows that lack of perspective. And hopefully, you know, he, well, he pulls still- it together. <laughs> Yeah, he's still 22 years old. So when he says stuff like that, like he is still pretty young. And uh, I think it's fair to give him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt. I'm with you. And it is unfair. I can't think of a more unfair curve to grade him on than like, why haven't you transformed the Phoenix Suns yet? I realize there hasn't been much progress, but it's a thankless task. That's my only point. I'm with you. Close things off there. I I hear you. Uh, Um, Also, your point on Jaron Jackson, though, I mean, if he got drafted by Phoenix, we never would have heard from him again. That would have been the black hole, right? Like, we would never have talked about him (laughs) for his rookie season. It's true. I mean, it's just true. The way that he plays, the subtleties to his game— uh, what he is actually good at and how young he is, it would be you know throwing him into the dark, uh, well, deep end of the pool and never seeing him again. And that's that's kind of happened to a lesser extent for Aiden. I mean, he's still been able to get you know his his numbers, however empty they may or may not be. Um, but uh-huh. I want to see him have the same kind of impact on this uh, situation as Booker. And by the way, number one picks and, and lottery picks who turn out to get max contracts like Booker. Usually those guys change their environment. Usually that's what you call part of the, you know, the foundational building blocks of building a winning, uh, winning culture. And it's on those guys, you know, over the next two to three years to make that kind of progress. And at this point, if this is what they're going to be doing with their, their late season games, chasing 59s for no reason, I don't see the culture changing. It starts with him. Yeah, well, I, and I agree there for sure. The one thing, and the reason I mentioned Jaron Jackson Jr., uh, I and I laugh because I really am just never going to be able to say that dude's name. Jaron. Um, His name is Jaron. Yeah. The reason I bring up Jaron is because, like, you talk about Booker's defense. It is bad, and he'll have possessions where you're just like, all right, man, like, you're not even trying. Come on. Like, I understand you're carrying a significant load on offense, and I understand you're on the Phoenix Suns, and none of these games really matter, but, like, that's, some of these possessions are just not a great look. Um, but he could be bad on defense and the Suns could still be a good team if they had any kind of interior defense and any kind of anchor down there. And that's just not what DeAndre Ayton excels at. And it would have been cool to see them with uh, a guy like Jaron. Or if I were the Suns, I would be doing everything I can to trade for a guy like Bam Adebayo. Like, that's the type of guy they need. And unfortunately, that's the one box that Aiton doesn't really check as a as a prospect. And, and it's a little bit frustrating because it's like, all right, so now the Suns are still going to be shitty on defense. Everybody is going to stupidly blame Devin Booker for it when in reality, like he hasn't played with a good big man anchor his entire career. And um, that's again, like that's just a bigger 
global issue in Phoenix. Yeah, well, so again, let's put yourself in Aiton's mindset. Uh, you're watching Booker go one on three, chasing his 59. Your coach is completely fine with it because he just put him back in the game for no reason. And you're looking around saying, I'm a number one pick and you want me to play all the defense here? Nobody else plays defense. You want me to be the only person who works hard and plays low post defense? Uh, who's going to teach me how to do it? Who's yes. who's my mentor? <laughs> like, like that, and then you start to think, like, what's his investment level going to be like? Yeah, pretty soon after that, you get that's fair. After you get to February and March, your yes. attitude's going to be like, yeah. When I see little, if I was a little kid and I watched the Suns, I think we'd suck too. And that's what he said, and he was right. <laughs> yeah, well, they do suck. There's no no debating that point. Um, they lost to the Wizards last night. Uh, game winner from Thomas Bryant. It really. Two game winners in the final minute for for Thomas Bryant. Um, anyways, that's a nice like twenty five minutes of Suns talk to uh, finish off March here. Love it. Um, great analogy off the top. Check out the wildflowers, uh, Andrew. You know, check out the wildflowers. <laughs> Sometimes you know, I will. Every once in a while, you know, social media will get you down. I know you've been a little stressed out by these Luca lovers and all the Devin Booker you know stands that were going nuts this week. Kind of got under my skin too. So you know, it's it's good to vent on a podcast. And then go out into nature, you know, smell some wildflowers, don't pick them, uh, and enjoy the super bloom without trying to do it too much for the gram. That's just don't go overboard. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. No, that was, I was interested because um, I've seen your pictures over the years and I wasn't sure it, that, like, there are times, there are shots you'll take where I'm like, is he just by the side of the highway or is this a national park? Like, I'm not sure where we are. So it does sound like the super bloom kind of takes place in more of these desolate locations where it's just like nature's little miracle for a few weeks. Is that correct? Yeah, well, it's that's the the beautiful and brilliant part about it. There's whole websites that track these things. There's guys out there with binoculars, you know, like going up and down these roads saying, hey, this is where the poppies are. Here's where this wood is, you know. And sometimes they are right by the freeway, like literally like Lake Elsinore had to shut down because the traffic was so bad on a major freeway, like, you know, a five lane freeway that they're just like, yeah. our city can't take it. So there are some situations where it's right off the freeway. Other times you're driving for four hours. And, you know, a lot of those further excursions are hard to make during the season. But, uh, but yeah. Well, I, no, this is great. This is this is going to be your vocation whenever, like, the ball is life mixtapes drive you out of basketball journalism. <laughs> you're going to become a bloom tracker <laughs> and uh, live your dream. I love it, man. Um, all right. So, listen. Let's run through as many questions as we can get through. I have a hard out today, so I don't wow. know if we're going to be able to go much longer than an hour. So important. What are you doing? Going to Scope Zion? Yeah, well, not Scope Zion, but that's the problem. You're going to March Madness this afternoon, and then I've got the games tomorrow. So we did. We had a tight window to record this second podcast this week. Um But let's run through as many questions as we can get through. So first from Owen, he says... Let's say, for the sake of argument, that beating the Warriors in the playoffs guarantees you a spot in the NBA Finals. Which round would you want to face the Warriors in? Do you have any thoughts, Ben? Um, I do, and it's kind of a you know unfair answer to this question, but I would want to face them in the Western Conference Finals to get the, the final spot, simply because your best chance to beat the Warriors is to hope that Steph has an ankle injury and like the more games he has to play in a playoff setting Ooh. before you face them, the better chance you have to beat them. Uh, you know what I mean? And yep. I think, you know, coincidentally or not, like Iguodala having injury issues in the Western Conference Finals last year really made them a lot more vulnerable. Um, had Steph been the one who was injured, 
Houston wins that series, right? So I think when we're looking at a team that has just like smoked through at like 16 and one through that that playoff run and uh, a team that really has only lost, you know, during this current core's run to Cleveland when Steph did seem a little banged up and not quite right, I think the formula for them is is hoping that Steph or I guess, you know, KD uh, gets gets nicked up or banged up and, and isn't 100% during that series. So I just, I delay wanting to play them as long as possible. What was your answer? No, I think that is a great answer um, because I think once you get to the finals, the Warriors are going to be pretty locked in and you're not going to catch them sleeping and you're also, you know, whatever weird locker room dynamics are there are going to be able to be sort of overcome for two weeks because everybody can kind of get on the same page. I do think that there's more Warriors weirdness this year than there has been over the last three years and like a lot of people who are wondering whether that's going to matter. Like that's Those are fair questions to ask um, and I think the gap between the Warriors and the rest of the West is wider than it has been over the last few years. So that will that kind of weighs against the possibility of any Warriors upset. But like they're vulnerable, their rotation is really thin, and uh, and the, the interpersonal dynamics have been screwed up. So like it's something that we should all watch a little closer than we have been probably. But um, I don't have a better answer than just wait longer because there's a chance that Steph might get hurt. That is still, as weird as things have gotten, that's still like the best hope for the rest of the league is a, is a sprained ankle and Steph not being at 100%. Well, you could also make the argument that if you waited, uh, the chemistry issues might be more likely to pop up too, right? Like when we've seen their first round, uh, second round performances here recently, like they do flip the switch right at the start of the playoffs. They start playing their real lineups, like they're locked in with their mismatch issues like JaVale McGee going nuts early in last year's playoffs was like they were all you know all systems go by the time they get to Houston it's like okay now is this you know tug of war for the ball between KD and Steph like that initial jolt of flipping the switch wasn't necessarily there every single game and so like I would never want to play them in the first round because you figure that's when they're going to be the most locked in and focused kind of like you know coming out of the regular season where they're like finally we get to play basketball that matters after six months of just completely wasting our time right um so you you can make the argument both ways like delay facing them not only for the possibility of beneficial injuries but also the possibility that some of these chemistry issues that you're mentioning like crop to the surface well and it's funny because most teams when they win a playoff series like I'm sure this will happen in Boston where they're going to go through and beat the Pacers in five games and then that will actually help their momentum and help the locker room kind of come together in ways that it maybe hasn't at various points this season um but they'll be able to get the ball rolling and and get the good vibes moving uh or whatever but the Warriors like they've won so much that I don't know if that dynamic really matters as much for them. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's been weird enough in golden state that really anything is possible going forward. Um, but moving on here, Ben Elliot says, is there a single player who's taken advantage of the new player empowerment movement whose reputation hasn't been ruined by it? That mildly or majorly trashed reputation list now includes Kevin Durant, LeBron James, Kyrie Irving, Anthony Davis, Kawhi Leonard, Jimmy Butler, and probably others too. So I'm curious, what's your reaction to this question, Ben? 
I mean, I think Elliot speaks for our demo, you know, the people who are really, really locked in and following this stuff on Twitter every single day, and they want to turn all these guys into sort of like, you know, positive or negative caricatures. And this whole thing becomes like this grand battle of personality. I'm wondering, like, for casual fans, I think we could say for sure, Kevin Durant changed his reputation for the for the worse. Do casual fans care about uh, Kawhi or Jimmy Butler or Kyrie in terms of a negative way here. I'm not sure they do. Uh, I think that they probably just view them as like, hey, they're they're talented players. Like if they even know who they are, I think, you know, some of these guys are significantly less famous than others. And I don't think that mm-hmm. LeBron's move to the Lakers, although it's been a disaster through year one, has really changed or altered uh, his reputation all that much simply because yeah. it wasn't just a move about basketball. So anybody who didn't get that has had that proven to them and then you know now they can kind of move forward but the people who did get that aren't like stunned by it um and i think that is uh, a perceptive way to look at it you know where you know we are not we don't reflect everybody we're probably paying too close attention to some of this stuff but the other thing that i would add is that you know he's conflating a lot of criticism that these guys have encountered with player empowerment and i don't know if that's totally accurate first of all lebron has benefited a ton from player empowerment over the years and is still very much in the in the black as far as his his ledger is concerned in terms of like the impact that player empowerment has had on his career and um and additionally someone like Kyrie, i don't know if you would explain the criticism by citing player empowerment. I think part of where he's played his cards wrong is like by coming out and literally committing to the city of Boston in October. Like he didn't have to do that and nobody would have held it against him, but he committed and then went back on the commitment and said, I don't owe you shit. And so like, I don't really count that as, as, the same kind of problem that, you know, Anthony Davis yeah. has. And the scientific ignorance too. I mean, I think that that's probably shaped right. his reputation <laughs> for a lot of people more so than this like false commitment to Boston that people in Boston really care about and everybody else is like, cool, whatever, <laughs> you know, like, all right, awesome. You told, exactly. some, you told some fans that you might want to stay there. Amazing. What breaking news. No. And it only became a story when then he turned around and it was like, actually, no, I'm not staying. Like, who, who knows? Ask me in July. It's like, Okay, well then you you kind of have to criticize them because it's like, well, what, what was the point of any of this? But um, yeah. I think the guys, Anthony Davis is the one who really has been hurt by it. Um, whereas everybody else, even Kevin Durant, I wonder whether his story would have been a little bit different had he handled some of the criticism a little differently. I think he's just been a little bit uncomfortable since he's been in Golden State. No, but I, I don't necessarily. I told you from the start. Is, I mean, the players' Tribune thing too was terrible. He just messaged the whole move totally wrong. Like it, it was, and then exactly. the fallout was even worse. So he just compounded that mistake. I think you could make the argument with Anthony Davis that like he's absolutely hurt his standing. There's no question about it. But his Q rating and everything was so low beforehand that he didn't actually have that much to lose, right? Like if you're yeah. Rich Paul and, and those guys and you're like kind of scheming, like how do we get him out of here? We know this is going to be a risk. He's going to take a hit. We're going to take a hit if this backfires. In the back of your mind, you're like, well, nobody really knows who Anthony Davis is anyway, so who cares? Like once he finally comes out the other side, like if, if he does wind up being a Laker either this summer or the following year everyone's going to just re-embrace him, right? I mean, isn't like isn't he going to be coming through with a lot less flack than a guy like KD got? So 
Uh, well, I don't think he's a ruined. Case of player tanking, also. Right, right. Because he, 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 he's honestly his reputation has sunk so far this year that there's no doubt in my mind we're going to get to November or December next year and be talking about how amazing Anthony Davis is, and there's going to be this whole awakening around basketball media and among basketball fans where everyone's just like, you know what, we need to appreciate that we're watching one of the 15 or 20 greatest players of all time which has maybe been true all along, but I think there's going to be some sort of backlash to the backlash at some point. Right, so then we can't say that Elliot's, Elliot's premise is correct. Then we have to say, okay, Elliot, well, it's a little exactly. bit a little bit more complicated on that one. Yeah, I, I'm with you. That was my reaction as well. Um, all and, right. And a lot of this will Let's be forgiven move. because these guys haven't had a chance to win in the playoffs, right? Like if the Sixers make the finals, Jimmy will be forgiven, you know? If the Raptors yeah. make the finals, Kawhi is going to be forgiven, um, if the Celtics make the finals, Kyrie is going to be forgiven. Uh, if, if the Warriors win another title, Katie won't be forgiven, but he will have the potential to leave with three rings, three finals MVPs. And that's a pretty impressive stamp. And I think history will treat him more kindly 10 or 15 years from now than they are right now. Well, listen, Ben, one day Devin Booker is going to make the finals or maybe the second round of the playoffs, and you will have to forgive him for his <laughs> 59 point injustice in Utah and by the way, speaking of that, actually, you know, I think the flip side is is even truer. Whereas, like, I, I feel worse for guys like Cat and, and Booker who are stuck on these hopeless teams. And I wonder whether someone like Devin Booker would have been better off taking a qualifying offer and then trying to, to force his way out of Phoenix. And the same is true for Cat. Like, I think sometimes... The guys who don't take advantage of player empowerment are and end up being kind of the bigger losers. Um, well, that's good because it shows that you care about winning and well, much more than you sounded like you did, you know, 30 minutes ago. So I'm impressed by you saying that. <laughs> I, I actually made some kind of an argument for that briefly for Booker. Do you remember that? Where I was like, look, you know, try to flex your muscles now, like see what you can do, yeah. P- push this organization, see what where it will take you. But Ultimately, I don't blame these guys for taking that the contract because it's such life-altering money. Well, and as we saw that's with the like thing, it's generational wealth. Yeah. You're talking about literally 170 million dollars. It's hard to ask anybody to turn that down. I just part of me wonders when someone will because at this point like you're committing the first 8 years of your career, 8 or 9 I believe, and that's a lot of time. And those are like the best years of some guy's career and um the golden handcuffs are, are pretty tough, and I wonder when somebody is going to sort of break that mold because well, it, it I, would make sense for a lot of different people. I think we've seen it, Andrew. I think it's Chris Epps Porzingis. I think he showed that, look, if, if you're not True. on board and you can try to make that very clear to your front office and they may have another plan in mind and that plan could include you going forward or could not include you going forward – and you're able to be really proactive with your, you know, just being disgruntled, your unhappiness or whatever, you can get yourself traded on a rookie deal. I wouldn't be surprised at all if there is other guys who are in Porzingis's situation in terms of being on a bad team, not being sure where it's going, dealing with coaching changes, who try to follow that model while they're still on their rookie deals to set up that second contract where they're in a better franchise, better organization, better chance to win long term. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Chris Stapps was the one who I still don't know if he would have ever not taken the the extension and, and played out his year on a qualifying offer. 
in part because of his massive injury red flags. But um, Chris Stapps is a great example of exactly what I'm talking about. Moving on here, Ben. Today's show is brought to us by Robinhood. Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos all commission-free. While other brokerages charge up to $10 for every trade, Robinhood doesn't charge any commission fees, so you can trade stocks and keep all of your profits. Plus, there is no account minimum deposit needed to get started, so you can start investing at any level. The simple, intuitive design of Robinhood makes investing easy for newcomers and experts alike. Ben, tell me a little bit more about Robinhood. You can view easy-to-understand charts and market data and place a trade in just four taps on your smartphone. You can also view stock collections, such as the 100 most popular. With Robinhood, you can learn how to invest in the market as you build your portfolio, discover new stocks, track your favorite companies, and get custom notifications for price movements so you never miss the right moment to invest. Robinhood is giving listeners of Open Floor a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help you build your portfolio. Sign up at floor.robinhood.com. That's floor.robinhood.com. All right, and let's get back to it with Austin, who says, Hey, Ben, I'm disappointed I did not receive a LinkedIn request for you from you. Please visit LinkedIn.com slash, he has his last name. Great. Uh, I hope you connected with him, Ben. And then he adds, listening to your Blazers take on the last pod was absolutely brutal. I was at the Blazers game when Nurkic broke his leg. I guess Portland is a godless city after all. Not even the basketball gods will answer our prayers. That was one of, I don't know, 30 or 40 like <laughs> really, really dark Blazers emails. And I personally regret the timing of my Blazers love. Literally, we recorded that about four hours before the Blazers-Nets game where Nurkic's leg broke. Um Awful all around, awful because Nurkic was playing his ass off this year. And I mentioned that he was in better shape and was dunking everything. But, like, his passing was great, too. He was moving really well on defense. And I really did love where that Blazers team was. And I I looked at them as kind of like a dark horse to potentially make the conference finals. And now, I don't know, you can take me through the darkness. You're, You're experienced as a child of Portland. Yeah, so I did some radio up in Portland this week. Have you ever spoken at a funeral? I know it's kind of get personal here, but have you ever had to do that? Like get up in front of I haven't, no. uh, Okay, unfortunately, I've had to do that a couple times. It's a unique challenge. Like you want to be positive in such a dark moment. You want to be like slightly funny in a time that like no one really wants to laugh. You want to be personal, but not too personal because you're talking to people who, you know, you may not even know, you know, depending on how big the funeral is. Doing Mm -hmm. sports radio this week in Portland was like the exact same feeling. Like I felt as I was talking that if I said the wrong thing, I could basically offend the entire city. And um, look, I get it. I mean, there's post-traumatic stress disorder from the Odin injury. People are getting flashbacks from that. But it's, it's more than that in Portland. Like I was talking to their... Uh, producer, uh, shout out to Swag at 1080 AM. Uh, 
he is going back and comparing it in detail as we're talking to Sam Bowie, you know, from like 20, 30 years ago, right? And if you really get the old yeah. heads in Portland, they're like, look, you young kids, you don't know anything about basketball. If you want to talk big man injuries, the conversation starts and ends with Bill Walton, all right? So you've got like now four generations of Blazers fans where, you know, they can stand out for their guy as having like the worst injuries, <laughs> you know, whether it's mm-hmm. Walton, Bowie, Odin. Uh, and Nurkic, and that's why they come up with this talk about the curse. And you know, people really feel that deeply and intensely up there in Portland. Um, I went back and read that story I, I wrote about Nurkic, and man, that put me in the worst mood because yeah, the number of years that went in to get to where he was this year, and you described very well some of the developments within his career year. But like, you go back to him, uh, you know, learning basketball really late, like coming up as this like son of a Bosnian cop who's just this gigantic mountain of a man that kind of, you know, his genetics get Nurkic on this basketball scouts map, right? Simply because the cop, you know, punches out all these guys in this barroom brawl. You get Nurkic crying himself to sleep every night at a Slovenian boarding school as they're trying to teach him how to play the sport and his, you know, he's not really growing into his body, doesn't really know how it's going to work. Then you go through that chapter yeah. in Denver where it's like, butting heads with coach Malone. It's getting very personal. He's dealing with weight issues. He's dealing with attention issues and not feeling involved. He loses the position battle to Jokic. He feels like what's his role going to be in the NBA. He gets traded finally and very mercifully to Portland. He finds a home there, but he goes down with a leg injury almost immediately after the fact. And you know his, his whole career goes up into question again at that point. Then he works himself through all of that. He spends two years getting his body right. He's in the best shape of his life. He's playing 50-plus minutes at a very high energy level in a, a game against the Brooklyn Nets and one play. And all of that work, you know, eight or nine That's years awful. of development goes out the window in three seconds in arguably the most painful way possible. That's what I mean about this, you know, sounding like a funeral. His career is not over. Like Portland's franchise has made it through tough times. They will make it through tough times again. There's no doubt about it. But that doesn't take away the pain in the short term. Yeah, I agree. And I think that there would maybe be more room for like some black comedy about how screwed the Blazers have been over the years, except the Nurkic element of it makes it so much more frustrating and sad in this moment, you know, because watching him progress was one of the coolest stories in Portland this year. And and watching him connect with Dame and the relationship they had, like I, I did an interview with, with Nurkic a couple weeks ago, and it was just such a perfect fit for everyone involved. I think Nurkic coming from Denver kind of needed the direction that the Blazers were able to give him and that Lillard was able to give him. And um, and he was just so happy to sort of have that camaraderie and be in a situation where he was asked to be the guy. You know, I think that was one of the things that frustrated him in Denver is like, it's hard to stay motivated when you don't have the opportunity to play your full game. And the Blazers needed more from him than the Nuggets ever were going to need. And um, and for that reason, like it was a great fit and he was really answering the call this year. And so to have him go down is just it's really hard. And it does. It throws his career into all kinds of uncertainty all over again. Can I add uh, just one layer to what you're saying here real quick? 
it's not just that they're asking more from him than he's ever been asked before, like in Denver. It's also that they're asking him to do the dirty work, the screen setting, the rebounding, the captaining of the defense, the stuff that doesn't end with 20 points, 10 rebound type lines every single night. Some nights he gets those huge numbers, but he's doing an awful lot of the hard work so that the units that involve Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum are going to be like big time plus units, right? Like if you look at his impact this year, they're so much better both offensively and defensively when Nurkic was on the court. And you put in Collins into his place or Cantor into his place or Myers Leonard into his place, and those numbers start to look awful basically immediately, right? And so that was a big yeah. thing for him too. He came up with this very single-minded focus of like, I've got to get my numbers. I've got to be somebody who gets an MVP at a European tournament so that people will talk about me and know who I am and I can get onto the map. He spent so many years focused on that stuff that he almost had to relearn or be brainwashed into a team context. And to his credit, he bought in on all of that stuff. And I didn't think he was going to be able to do that. Like even when I was writing that story in 2017 about him, I kind of left it with an open question. It's like, look, he can't be just this singular guy, you know, this this bull in the ring who's going to be running around by himself. He has to be a part of a team, and he's done that. I remember when that story ran, Nurkic was not playing particularly well for the Blazers. He had a really complicated season last year and then was able to get in great shape and come back pretty healthy and just play his ass off for a really good Blazers team. I mean, the Blazers have been so steady that there hasn't been that much to talk about, but they've been very, very solid out in the West. Um, And what you talk about in terms of some of the little things that he does, like if you watch that offense, the screens he sets to get looks for Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum, like he's, he's great in that role. And then his ability to roll and be a secondary passer or be a rim runner, like he was really kind of a perfect fit in that offense and was sort of like the keystone that made everybody else more dangerous. And um, so I guess I, I don't know a way to spin this in a positive light for the Blazers. Like it just yeah. sucks. I, the, I'm not the, sure what the, 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 the word so, is. The silver lining is that Nurkic has already been paid. So this wasn't an yep. injury last year, which would have cost him tens of millions of dollars. The silver lining is that he, he's under contract from Portland for the next basically three years after this one. So if we go by the timeline of Gordon Hayward or Paul George, he will still be in Portland by the time he gets up to, you know, what we would expect to be, you know, his full strength after say an 18 month recovery. Um, So that that's good from Portland's standpoint, but no, it nukes their season to me. It makes them so much easier to defend in the postseason. Everybody who was trapping Lillard in last year's playoffs, that's going to be coming harder and faster and more aggressively in this year's playoffs. There's no doubt about it. If you look at the players or the teams, rather, who that they would face in the first round, Oklahoma City with Steven Adams, the Clippers with Montrez Harrell, San Antonio with LaMarcus Aldridge, Utah with Rudy Gobert. You might want to have a plus center, you know, an above average starting center if you're going against those kinds of players. And so, you know, it's it's bleak here short term. I think you have to exercise total patience if you're a Blazers fan. And this is more of a side note. This is a time for Jody Allen to step forward as I don't know if you want to call her an interim owner or kind of like the the takeover owner from her brother, Paul Allen. She has been radio silent since his death about sort of the franchise, the direction, everything else. If she doesn't want to talk right now, I understand that. But if they get eliminated in the first round of the playoffs, 
She doesn't have to have a State of the Union address, but she needs to come out and really say, hey, here's how I feel about the front office. Here's how I feel about the coaching staff. Here's how I feel about the roster. I've been consulted on our direction about the best path going forward. Here's what we're going to do, A, B, C, and D. In moments like this, fans want to hear from the owner, and I don't think silence is acceptable from her on this one. Yep. Um, I'm with you. I thought about that as well, because there's still, there's a lot of uncertainty in the air in Portland. Like, they're going to have to pay Damian Lillard a lot of money um, because he's eligible for the Supermax extension this summer. I don't know whether he would sign it if they even offered it this summer. But, um, yeah, like there are bigger picture questions, and we talked about that a, a couple months ago. We did like 40 minutes on the Blazers halfway through the year, and all of those questions still remain, and uh, the answers are harder and maybe more frustrating now that Nurkic is hurt. So. Uh, you know, prayers up to Nurkic and to Blazers fans who are miserable right now. And at least you still have Damian Lillard. And I mean, look, I, I know a lot about basketball pain. So um, we're all in this together, I guess. We're all cursed is what you're saying, huh? <laughs> we're all cursed. Exactly right. Um, all right. Moving on. Did you see my column on Zion Williamson in Atlanta? I did see it. Um, fun topic. I mean, we've talked about, okay, ideal Zion destinations in the past. And I think some of the angles we've said, okay, who are these other great young players who you could kind of pair them with? You know, some of the angles are like, what's the best market to sort of maximize his superstar ability? And so on maybe those questions, I think I threw out Dallas before maybe New York. But your argument was more like, what's better for the health of the NBA or the structure of the lottery uh, changing odds? And I think maybe also like below that, uh, what's an, a really fun and entertaining fit with a current roster? Um, and you yeah. came, you you decided on the Hawks for those reasons, right? What's more important to you, like the players that are already down there, like getting Trey Young health, or the idea that if the Hawks somehow win the lottery, it will validate the idea that pure tanking for tanking's sake uh, isn't necessarily the way to go. I mean, like, which of these things do you think is more important? I think the former argument is a lot more important to me. I don't really care about the optics and, and whether this validates the lottery reform. I think the league office probably should care about that and maybe does. Um, and we could talk about that in a second. The reason I want Zion Williamson in Atlanta is because that's like by far the most entertaining destination you could come up with uh, throwing him in dallas would also be a lot of fun um but you know putting him with trey young and trey young's passing and like the dunking with john collins it would just be fantastic it would be like michael vick part two if you put him in atlanta and maybe we would all have to move to atlanta i'd be up for it if you would like i think that like every basketball fan can kind of get on board there because these hawks games for three months now have been just reliably great to watch whether they're winning or losing they're playing every game in the 120s and 130s so throw zion into the mix and let's see what happens i think there are reasonable questions if you want to get super nerdy about it like how does john collins fit could he play the five could zion play the five like but i i think we can find that out as we go um yeah. So that's point? interesting that you said that, though, because when I was reading your column, I actually thought the more interesting point was less the fit in Atlanta, which is absolutely tantalizing. Anytime you're putting like a big time talent with Trey Young, uh, you know, you're kind of fostering like I don't know if you want to call it like the young OKC vibe or whatever, but like 
you know, there could be some real like yeah. bro- broski potential. Isn't that what those guys called each other? The Browingtons or whatever? Like there could be some Browington potential. <laughs> I uh, do not remember that, but yeah, team pizza rolls. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the idea of the lottery yards is pretty interesting because I think your point was Atlanta's still trying to win all these games down the stretch, right? And ultimately that is right. what Adam Silver should want more than anything. And you can't just hand them the top pick, but if it were to happen that way, it would be a, a major symbolic victory for the lottery reform. Whereas exactly. if Phoenix gets it or New York gets it, like all the stuff that we've tried to say about lottery reform influencing uh, you know, tanking and, and the quality of the play on the league and everything else is kind of dealt a pretty large blow, right? And that's not fair for the league office either. They can't control these lottery drawings. They can't say, okay, you know, New York, you're disqualified because you've been so embarrassing this season, right? But yeah, there's Stern no question, would, but <laughs> <laughs> with it, with the envelopes and heating them up or whatever, but, uh, exactly. or, or freezing them, but one way or another, whoever gets Zion, that will, that will spawn weeks, if not months of takes about the lottery and everything else. And if you're Adam Silver, you have a lot of, uh, stake in that game, right? Like you, you would really prefer one option to the other, uh, from that perspective, just, you know, based on the level of criticism and attention and scrutiny that goes into this lottery stuff. Yeah, I think that's, that's what's on the table. And I also think part of the lottery reform story and conversation over the next few years is going to be dependent on how randomized these results become, you know, because I think obviously and again, like you said, the league can't control that. But if it's just going to be the tanking teams still getting the number one picks, you're not going to really eliminate tanking. What I do think is really cool, and they're probably not going to eliminate tanking in any context because there are certain teams that just don't have a better alternative. And even if the odds are worse now than they were a couple years ago, like teams are still going to just say, all right, we got to take our chances. Like or if you're if you're Cleveland this year, and you lose the first month and Kevin Love goes down, like what better alternative do you really have than to just play your young guys and hope for a pick in June? That makes sense. The thing that I think is cool about lottery reform and, and where we are this year is that like in years past, some of these Hawks wins would be like legitimately concerning and counterproductive. And now the odds have been flattened enough so that the Hawks can win games without having Hawks fans take to Twitter and be like, well, this is great, but why are we winning? Like, this doesn't make any sense for the big picture. And I think that is as important to the league to, you know, counteract and try to, to try to solve as, as any sort of widespread t- spread tanking thing is. Does that make sense? Um, yeah, it does. I mean, what's so interesting about this is you're really trying to influence the decision-making process of a very small number of people, right? It's basically Mm -hmm. like the owners and their lead executives. Uh, and if Zion goes to Atlanta and becomes this huge star, the question is like, how does somebody like Robert Sarver respond to that? Right. Does he decide, look, I have to step my game up. I can't go cheap on these coaches. I can't go cheap on these executives. I've got to really turn this organization around. Or does he decide I'm screwed either way, whatever, I'm just going to pocket my money. Or does he decide I'm going to sell my team, right? Like those are sort of like the potential outcomes. Now, if he gets Zion, uh, how does that 
change an, uh, an ownership decision or a front office decision for a team like Atlanta, where do you feel like all that effort you put in down the stretch cost you, right? And these are the kinds right. of unintended consequences that we can't really know, um, but we should be tracking them very closely because uh, you know this is going to be determining like where are the best players going and how are the worst organizations in the league either positioning themselves to get them or throwing away the tanking playbook, which is what, you know, ultimately is Adam Silver's uh, goal. Yeah. Well, and the other thing that I think that is interesting is he's trying to eventually influence fans because a lot of these teams, like the the teams in the bottom three still only have a 50-50 shot at landing in the top four of the draft, which I think is more insane than people can really appreciate right now. We'll have to see how things shake out the night of the lottery. Um, But if you're talking about losing 60 games and potentially picking fifth, like that's pretty rough. That sucks. And once I mean- <laughs> that happens a few times, like fans are going to say, all right, well, look, the odds are different. So you're not going to sell me on putting this crappy product on the floor for the next seven months. And then we're still not going to get a top pick. And so once you're unable to sell tanking as a viable path forward or the smartest path forward, that I think will affect the way some of these teams approach it year over year. And um, in a lot of cases, like we've talked about Phoenix to start the, the show, like you should have an incentive to build a winning culture because that's kind of a more reliable path either way. And, um, and I think that might be healthy. And there's also a chance that none of this will matter. The Hawks will get the fifth pick and like whatever, but it's, it's a laudable goal, I think. Yeah, it is. And um, it's so funny that the odds were implemented in a year where like the number one pick is so valued, right? Like there's a lot of years where we wouldn't be so focused on who wins the lottery because, you know, the top two or three is all pretty tightly packed and you can make arguments for any of these guys like that Lonzo Ball year that we were mentioning the other day, like people really liked Fultz. But it wasn't like Fultz was being elevated like the Anthony Davis of his class, right? So it's kind of a perfect storm. I'm really looking forward to this NBA draft lottery drawing. I don't know about you, but like I feel like this is going to be one of the most intensely uh, watched uh, nights for recent memory, not only because of the Zion factor, but also because of like the fallout and the storylines that will emerge from these teams who may get screwed in ways they've never been screwed before or may get lucky and benefited in ways that we haven't really seen just because of those odd changes. Look, man, I'm going to be in Chicago the night of the lottery. So the invitation is extended. You can talk to your bosses at the post, get on a flight. We could do a live pod the night of the lottery. We could do, we could find a bar in Chicago and do a live pod. You know, if there's an audience, I'm there. But um, I don't know yeah, about the live pod, I'm but very hyped. <laughs> I, I might be there. I haven't officially booked it but yes uh there's a chance okay so your your dream is uh not shattered it's it's molding (laughs) well on that note we just got another email about conference imbalance i swear to god we get like 15 emails about this every week (laughs) you're welcome nathan is lecturing me about the bottom of the east and for god's sakes it's not about the bottom of the east go back and watch the bucks rockets game earlier this week Um, Oh, yeah, definitely. Allow one game out of the entire season to (laughs) reflect the conference imbalance. I'm sure that's the right way to do it. The Bucs are 2-0 against the team that would, the the Rockets team that was allegedly going to win the East if you put them over here. But either way, we could have that argument for the rest of our lives, and I'm sure we will. Um, Ben, I have to go. 
Thank you for uh, keeping it tight today. And um, thank you for a great Super Bloom analogy. We both are going to be at the NCAA tournament all weekend. You're doing the West Regional. I'm doing Zion in D.C. I'm sure we'll have a lot to talk about about that. And uh, with that, let's, let's get together next Monday or Tuesday. Sounds great, Andrew. They can email us, openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com. We were tight today, so we didn't get to the lantern because you can't rush the lantern, Andrew, but we'll be back with that next week. <laughs> Follow me on Instagram at ben.golliver. Uh, also, we're on Apple Podcasts, so search for our page uh, by typing in open floor. That's two words. Find our page. Scroll down. There's a section that says rate and review. Tap the five stars. I'm watching, guys. We're, we're, we're keeping careful eye on this, so please do this. Tap five stars. Leave us some kind words. We really, really appreciate it. We're also on the world-famous radio.com slash open floor. Andrew, until next week, I will talk to you. All right, man. Take it easy. <laughs>